Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about chronic asthma. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash chronic asthma or in the respiratory section of the Zero to Finals pediatrics book. So let's get straight into it. Asthma is a chronic inflammatory airway disease leading to variable airway obstruction. The smooth muscles in the airway are hypersensitive and slightly inflamed and they respond to stimuli by constricting and causing obstruction to the airflow. This bronchoconstriction is reversible with bronchodilators such as inhaled salbutamol. Asthma is one of a number of atopic conditions which include asthma, eczema, hay fever and food allergies. Patients with one of these conditions are more likely to have the others. And these conditions characteristically run in families. So always take a family history and don't be surprised if their brother, their mother or everyone in the family has asthma, eczema and allergies. So what would make you consider a diagnosis of asthma in a child? Some of the key features are a dry cough with a wheeze and shortness of breath. Episodic symptoms with intermittent exacerbations, so periods where the child's much better and other periods where they become wheezy and short of breath. Diurnal variability, which means it's worse at different times of the day, and typically it's worse at night and early in the morning. Typical triggers, which we'll talk about in more detail shortly. A history of other atopic conditions such as eczema, hay fever and food allergies. A family history of asthma or atopy bilateral widespread polyphonic wheeze which is heard by a healthcare professional. Parents who report the child is wheezy are not necessarily accurately diagnosing the wheeze so it needs to be heard by a healthcare professional and the polyphonic wheeze means that there's multiple sounds happening because different airways are affected and it needs to be widespread throughout the chest because a focal wheeze is not typical of asthma. And finally, the symptoms should improve with bronchodilators. The things that would suggest a diagnosis other than asthma would be a wheeze that only relates to coughs and colds, which is more suggestive of viral-induced wheeze, an isolated or productive cough, normal investigations, no response to bronchodilators or other treatments, and a unilateral wheeze which suggests a focal lesion, such as an inhaled foreign body, or an infection, or even a tumour. Some of the typical triggers of asthma are dust, particularly house dust mites that live in the dust, animals, cold air, exercise, smoke, and food allergies such as peanuts, shellfish, or eggs, which can trigger the asthma. How do we make a diagnosis of asthma? Well, there's no gold standard test or diagnostic criteria for asthma. The diagnosis is usually made clinically based on a typical history and examination. Children are not usually diagnosed with asthma until they're at least two or three years old. And when there's a low probability of asthma and the child is symptomatic, consider referral to a specialist to make the diagnosis, as if it's not a typical history, it can be difficult to make an accurate diagnosis. Where there's an intermediate or a high probability of asthma, a trial of treatment can be implemented and if this improves the symptoms, a diagnosis can be made. 
There are investigations that can be used where there's an intermediate probability of asthma or there's diagnostic doubt. And these are spirometry with reversibility testing, where you give salbutamol to see if it improves the lung function. And this is only really suitable for children aged over five years because it requires some cooperation. A direct bronchial challenge test where histamine or metacholine is introduced to the lungs to see if it causes bronchoconstriction. A test called fractional exhaled nitric oxide or pheno can be done. And when there's a high fractional exhaled nitric oxide, this is more suggestive of inflammation in the lungs and a diagnosis of asthma. And finally, peak flow variability can be measured by keeping a diary of the peak flow measurement several times a day for two to four weeks to see if the peak flow varies during the day, which suggests diurnal variability. So what's the long-term management of chronic asthma? The treatment here is based on the 2016 BTS-SIGN guidelines. It's a summary to help your understanding and learning and it's essential that you consult guidelines and your seniors before you actually treat patients. The principles of using the stepwise ladder are to start the patient on the most appropriate step for the severity of their symptoms, review them at regular intervals based on the severity of their symptoms, step them up and down the ladder based on their symptoms and how well they're controlled, aim to achieve no symptoms or exacerbations on the lowest dose and the lowest number of treatments, and always check the inhaler technique and the adherence to treatments at each review. So the medical therapy in children under 5 years starts with a short-acting beta-2 agonist inhaler, such as salbutamol, as required. After that, you add a low-dose corticosteroid inhaler, or a leukotriene antagonist, such as Montelukast. The third step is to add the other option from step two, whether that's a corticosteroid inhaler or a leukotriene antagonist. And the fourth step is to refer to a specialist. Medical therapy for children aged 5 to 12 years is to start with a short-acting beta-2 agonist such as salbutamol as required. The next step is to add a low-dose corticosteroid inhaler such as clenil. The third step is to add a long-acting beta-2 agonist inhaler such as salmeterol. Only continue the salmeterol if the patient has a good response. Then you titrate up the corticosteroid inhaler to a medium dose and consider adding a leukotriene receptor antagonist such as Montelukast or oral theophylline. The next step is to titrate the dose of the corticosteroid to a high dose and the next step is to refer to a specialist as they may require oral daily steroids. And then finally, the medical therapy in children over 12 years, which is the same as for adults, is to start a short-acting beta-2 agonist like salbutamol as required, then add a regular low-dose corticosteroid inhaler, then add a long-acting beta-2 agonist such as salmeterol as an inhaler, only continue that if the patient has a good response, then titrate up the corticosteroid inhaler to a medium dose, and consider a trial of an oral leukotriene receptor antagonist like Montanucast, oral theophylline, or an inhaled long-acting muscarinic antagonist such as teotropium as an inhaler. The next step is to titrate the inhaled corticosteroid up to a high dose. 
And then you combine all the treatments from the previous step, including the option of an oral beta-2 agonist such as oral salbutamol, and refer the patient to a specialist. If that doesn't work, specialists may consider adding oral steroids at the lowest possible dose to achieve good control. Let's talk more about inhaled corticosteroids in children. As a potential exam scenario is discussing inhaled steroids with a parent that is worried about possible side effects. A common question is whether they slow growth. And there's evidence that inhaled steroids can slightly reduce growth velocity and cause a small reduction in the final adult height of up to 1cm when they use long term, which means for more than 12 months. This effect is dose dependent, meaning that it's less of a problem with smaller doses. It's worth putting this in the context for the parent by explaining that these are effective medications that work to prevent poorly controlled asthma. Having asthma attacks can lead to higher doses of oral steroids being given, which is much worse than inhaled steroids. And poorly controlled asthma can have a greater impact on growth and development than the inhaled steroids. The child should also have regular asthma reviews to ensure that they're growing well and that they're on the minimum dose required to effectively control their symptoms. Another thing we need to talk about is inhaler technique. Inhaler technique is a key aspect of good asthma management. The better the technique, the more medication reaches the lungs. Poor technique results in medications going into the mouth or the back of the throat rather than the lungs, and this reduces the effectiveness of the medication, and it leads to complications such as oral thrush where candida grows in the back of the mouth because of the steroid doses that are being delivered to that area. Ideally, inhalers should be used with a spacer device to maximise their effectiveness. There's multiple types of inhaler and each type of inhaler has a different technique. We're going to talk about the technique that you would use for a typical salbutamol metered dose inhaler. But there are also dry powder inhalers that require the patient to inhale quickly and deeply to draw the powder directly into the lungs. But the most common exam scenario is going to be using a metered dose inhaler in order to explain the technique to a parent. The metered dose inhaler technique without a spacer is to remove the cap, shake the inhaler, which also depends on the type of inhaler, get the child to sit or stand straight upright, lift the chin slightly, fully exhale, so fully breathe all of the breath out, Make a tight seal with the lips around the inhaler. Take a steady breath in whilst you press the canister. Continue breathing in for 3 to 4 seconds after pressing the canister. Hold the breath for 10 seconds or as long as comfortably possible. Then wait 30 seconds before giving a further dose. And then rinse the mouth out after using a steroid inhaler. And that will help stop complications such as oral thrush. The metered dose inhaler technique with a spacer is to start by assembling the spacer, shake the inhaler depending on the type of inhaler, attach the inhaler to the correct end of the spacer, sit or stand straight upright, lift the chin slightly, make a seal around the spacer mouthpiece or place the mask of the spacer over the face, spray the dose of the inhaler into the spacer, and then take steady breaths in and out five times until all the mist has been fully inhaled. Alternatively, you can exhale fully before making a seal with the spacer, spray the dose, and then take one deep breath in to inhale the full mist 
before holding for 10 seconds. Spacers should be cleaned once a month and they need to avoid scrubbing the inside of the spacer and allow the spacer to air dry. And this is to avoid creating static. If you create static inside the spacer, this can interact with the mist of the inhaler and prevent the medication from being inhaled. Finally, a Tom tip. Teaching inhaler technique is a common exam task, so practice this with your colleagues. It's important to check the inhaler technique during every asthma review. If you come across somebody who's got poorly controlled asthma, who states they are taking their inhalers as prescribed, consider whether their inhaler technique is adequate, as this may be the cause of their poorly controlled asthma. And if you fix the technique, this will improve the asthma. So thanks for listening to this episode on chronic asthma in children. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. If you found the podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book. You can also find full audiobook versions of the Zero to Finals books on Audible, available to download so you can take them with you wherever you go. You can find the notes, videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. And I hope you tune in to the next episode where we'll talk about pneumonia in children.